0: I am Divya Shekhar and this is From the Bookshelves of Forbes India. Today's episode is a conversation about a series of books that chronicle lesser known but inspirational stories of Indian entrepreneurs and industrialists. Our guest Sonu Bhaseen has written a series of books called Entrepreneurs Who Built India. The first book on Gujarmal Modi of the Modi group was released last year. The second book in the series that has released recently is about Lala Sriram the man who joined Delhi Cloth & General Mills, DCM, at the age of 25 in 1909, and went on to create not only a textile giant, but a conglomerate that ventured into sewing machines, sugar, hydrogenated oil, chemicals, etc., and became a market leader in a short span. We'll go on to talk to Sonu Bhaseen about how Lala Sriram went about building his business while also prioritizing labor welfare, education and business innovation. Our guest Sonu Bhaseen is a family business historian and a business author. She has also held various senior leadership positions during her career including at Tata Administrative Services, Access Bank, Yes Bank and Tata Capital Limited. We'll also be talking to Sonu Bhaseen about all these things about family businesses in India, about how women can have stable, long, and successful careers, and what young startup entrepreneurs of today can learn from business persons like Gujarmal Modi and Lala Sriram. But before that, let's listen to Sonu Bhaseen read an excerpt from her book
1: about Lala Sriram. The story of Lala Sriram is a story of a single man's determination to overcome many handicaps. Handicaps of physical frailty, childhood loneliness, early failures in business, and not being considered good enough for anything by his own father. Overcoming all these, Sriram set up an industrial empire with a foresight and vision of business practices. That others did not even have an inkling of at that time. And as I spent time with Sri Ram, vicariously, of course, reading about him, talking to people who knew him, and listening to people describe the man and the times that he lived in, I started understanding and appreciating the man better. And later in the book, I talk about, you know, it is the story of how he went to work and how did he transform. Uh, DCM. But just one more passage I'd like to read uh, because a lot of your viewers would also be young entrepreneurs, young professionals. So this, this is actually for them. The story of Ram is instructive even for the entrepreneurs of today who often complain about the many constraints they face in setting up and then running their entrepri- enterprises. As I traveled in time along with Sriram, the entrepreneur it was evident that he looked at constraints not as roadblocks, but as minor speed breakers. Modern day entrepreneurs could also learn from Shriram the art of caring for their employees along with a strict focus on discipline. But mostly the entrepreneurs of today will find as they read the life story of Shriram that hard work, determination, grit and focus go hand in hand with the spirit of entrepreneurship.
0: Thank you for reading that out uh, Ms. Bhaseen and uh, thank you for joining us on the show. You've spoken about how it was not easy for business persons to do business uh, in, during the pre-independence time and also in the early years following independence. Um, how did people like Lala Ram and Gujarmal Modi build their empires during such a time and what can young entrepreneurs of today learn from them?
1: Yeah, so uh, two things that stand out for me, uh, for Lala Sriram. One is that unlike a lot of industrialists at that time, he did not spend any of his money in building temples. If you look at industrialists at that time, you know you have a lot of temples that were built by those industrialists. Sriram said that he will put his money in building temples of education and uh, Sriram ram college of commerce srcc was uh, started by him bears his name lady shri ram college uh, which is named after his wife uh, who passed away uh, is of uh, you know it's uh, uh, he he wanted to uh, have a superior education institute for women so his thought process was that education is important for anyone to go ahead in life he wanted to study further i mean he joined college but he had to leave college because of family circumstances and it always rankled him even though he's he he did make it a point to tell people that i'm doing well for a matric pass but there was this uh longing in him uh, and he regretted not studying more. and therefore he ensured that his children was, uh, went to the best schools and colleges. and he also wanted to he wanted other children uh, to also have the benefit of education. and therefore he set up uh, the, uh, the the two educational institute. he also set up the research Sriram uh, research uh, 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 facility at uh, Delhi University. The other thing that uh, stands out is that he realized very early on that the workers were an integral part of the business. And sadly, many industrialists, many businessmen did not treat their workers as well as they should have. But Sriram was very clear that workers and their welfare was fundamental to the success of his business. And therefore, all through the books, there are various instances where uh, he he made sure that the workers got their due, not only got their due, got more. So for example, when uh, DCM factory was being built, simultaneously, there was a workers colony being built and uh, that workers colony had everything it had a school it had a akhada which is equivalent of a gym it had a, a swimming pool it had a dispensary where free medicine was available it had a fair price shop it had everything that was needed to make the life of a worker comfortable so that he could then concentrate on the work so uh, uh, and you know giving sewing machine to women was all part of that Welfare, ensuring that people uh lived their lives well, had an opportunity to earn money, and therefore contribute more. But he was also a disciplinarian. So it wasn't you know all that warm fuzzy. Yes, he was good, but he also believed in strict discipline. And I, you know, like I've written in the introduction, there is a lot that we can learn from these people as we go about our work today when
0: you write a biography of industrialists and you know when you when you look deep into their lives deep into their history deep into their thoughts and decisions how easy or difficult is it or rather how difficult is it to not make the narrative hagiographical you know like it often tends to become when you are so deeply invested in a person and speak to that everyone around that person so uh, what what kind of balance is there to strike
1: so i start with the premise that nobody is either completely good or nobody is completely bad there are shades of both good and bad in everybody and uh, my objective is not to either i present somebody as an idol of virtue, not focus only on the negatives of a person and demonize the person. My uh, objective as a narrator, as a storyteller, is to actually present to the reader a balanced profile of the person that I'm writing about. Uh, um, And I do... Do through stories, through incidents of the life, through anecdotes, or through, uh, through other, uh, you know, instances like this, I do bring out um, the not so good parts of the character. But through the narrative, I impose a discipline on myself not to give my opinion. Because my opinion comes out in the introduction, which is where I talk about the person, maybe what I like, maybe you know what I don't like, but when it comes to the actual story, then I'm just a narrator and through the narration, through the anecdotes and the incidents that I pick up to write, to include in the story, there are various aspects of personality that come out these books you've written
0: in quick succession right I mean the book on Gujarmal Modi came out last year and now uh, there's a book on Lala Shriram are there other books that you are planning as part of the same uh, series
1: no actually Gujarmal Modi uh, and uh, Lala Shriram were both written during the pandemic so it helped because you know we were stuck at home Uh, meetings were virtual Uh, research was done very easily Uh, but now the You know, the next one in the series, I suspect, is going to take a little more time because now that the world is open again, there are lots more things happening outside the house. Um, Yeah, and how do we decide? So, between HarperCollins, my editor, Sachin Sharma, and I, we sat down and we worked out which are the three people that we should. Kick off the series with. I would ideally like to find a woman entrepreneur of that time, a woman, businesswoman at that time or an industrialist of that time. I would love to write her, love, uh, her uh, life story. Uh, so if any of your viewers know of any woman Industrialist, entrepreneur, large businesswoman who worked before, set up a business group uh, before independence. I, you know, they can write to you, and hopefully, you will let me know because I would love to write about a woman uh, uh, entrepreneur.
0: Yes, we, in fact, we'd we'd love that as as well because that will be very inspirational for people to read
1: and definitely will be. I am hundred percent sure that. As and when we find about a woman who, uh, I am sure the life story is going to be fascinating.
0: Right. You know, and uh, another question that I wanted to put forth to you personally is that uh, I I also cover gender uh, for uh, Forbes India. And uh, what I've seen is that, you know, and... in an economy where uh, women have been known to drop off the career ladder at various stages, to have the sheer longevity of a career that you've had is is quite inspirational to me personally. So, uh, what are the lessons that you've learned, or what are things that you would like to share, so that people could just hang in there, and you know, and and continue on with uh,
1: you know their careers? Yes, a lot of women. Uh either are forced to or choose to opt out uh, primarily around the time that they have children. Right? Uh, and this is something that I talk about very passionately. Uh, because when you look at you look at the corporate world and you see very few women at the top. I mean, it's increasing, but it's still very, very few numbers, right? When you look at the government, you have women secretaries, which is like the CEO of an organization, right? You have women secretaries in the state. You have women secretaries in the central government. You have women ambassadors in IFS, right? Kiran Bedi was, you know, she reached the top on in the police, and today you have a lot of women in the police. So when you look at the government in general, you find that women. Do better there. And when you delve a little more, you find that in the government, seniority of a woman going on maternity leave is protected. In the corporate world, you take one year off, you go back two years in terms of seniority. And if you have two children, you have actually lost out four years of seniority. Now, any professional capable woman would not want to lose out four years of seniority just because she had kids i was very fortunate that i was part of the ts where my seniority was not only protected i actually went on maternity leave as a manager in one company tata company took a year and a half off and when i rejoined work i was a deputy general manager in a mid-sized startup company and the only reason I did not get the designation of a general manager was because I was replacing a 55 year old man and I was only 32 years old. So my MD told me that even though the role is that of a GM, I cannot give you the designation because all, all other GMs were you know, in their 50s. So if it hadn't been for that maybe i would have also stopped uh, stepped out because you know we are all peers when you do your mba you know everybody who's in your batch and all of that and then if you find that some your batchmates have gone ahead four years in terms of seniority it rankles so if the corporate world can do just one thing it is to maintain seniority when a woman goes on maternity leave even if she goes on one year or two years just protect the seniority, you will be surprised at the number of women who choose to come back and then stay on. And, you know, the other myth is, again, that women cannot be posted to remote locations. Women cannot stay without their families. Again, look at women secretaries and women ambassadors. They haven't sat in one city and got to where they were. They've been posted in remote locations. They've stayed away from their husbands and families, but they have done it. And if they can do it, why can't women in the corporate world? So just just one thing if uh, the corporates can do and through your outreach, if you can you know, also talk about it, just maintain the seniority of a woman who is going on maternity leave. And not every woman who joins an organization has aspirations of becoming a CEO. Uh, they do want to rise in their career, but... They do not want to be left behind because they took maternity leave.
0: That's a very interesting perspective to offer. I mean, protecting the uh, seniority of women on maternity leave, I think should be a corporate priority. And now I want to take the conversation to something that uh, you've been working on for many years now, uh, which is family businesses. What is your opinion of? the younger generation uh, that is taking family businesses forward because it's you like you said most businesses don't uh, get past the first generation or at most maybe the second generation which is widely known to say consolidate the business and then when you turn to the third generation it's it's all gone so why does that happen and are you seeing anything different that's taking place in india which is against this uh, norm that you know, first generation builds, second, second consolidates, third destroys third, third it. it.
1: destroys, yeah. that yeah. sleeves to shirt sleeves in three generation. You know, actually about three years ago, uh, Fab, we brought out a white paper. The first of its kind, it was called the Millennial Inheritors of Family Businesses in India. Uh, we, we kind of realized that, you know, The millennials had come back or were in the process of coming back and being part of the family business, but we didn't know who they were. So we spoke to almost 150 uh, uh, millennial inheritors and we put together a white paper. I myself spoke to about 40 millennial inheritors. And I must confess that I also felt that the younger generation was not serious, had different values and you know maybe were not capable of taking forward the family business. but I was com- i I mean it was my hypothesis was completely negated. The younger generation, the inheritors, as I call them, they are well educated, they're enthusiastic, they care for family values they they have immense amount of pride in their family business, people who have studied abroad, worked with uh, the blue chip companies, big four consultancies have chosen to come back and work in the family business because there is a great sense of pride in that and plus they also want to work alongside with their fathers. So the white paper had many, many, many uh, uh, busting of the myths if you want to call it Uh, the reason why they don't succeed, I mean, while you know we can do a whole episode around that, let me just do two quick things. One is the patriarchs refuse to let go. And even when the inheritors come back into the business, the patriarchs kind of look it is something that all parents do. You know, we never yeah. think a child is good enough, right? And you know my son is 30 years old, and sometimes when other people talk about him, I say, Are you talking about my son? Is he really that? Because to me, he's still a bacha, and you know, he doesn't know anything. So, similarly, you know, patriarchs who are in the business also treat their children like that. So, if the patriarchs really want the next gen to take the business forward, they have to let go, they have to let. The inheritors come in, make mistakes, learn from the mistakes and then gain confidence. And two, the patriarchs also have to give the right messaging from early childhood. Uh, Again, in our white paper we found that if there was an emotional connect with the family business which started right from the childhood where uh, the children were encouraged to go to the factory, encouraged to go to the office, encouraged to spend time with the workers, there was a huge connect but inheritors who had been told all through the childhood, tum you don't have to come to the factory, do whatever you want to do. They had very little emotional connect and then at the age of 20, suddenly the father wakes up and says, okay, come back and join the business. This guy says, all my life you've told me to live my own life. Now you want me back. I don't want to do that. So you know, I'm I'm not talking of the rice up big brave now. Those are another category altogether. But by and large, the uh, the younger generation does want to take the business forward. I think it is up to the elders to let them be.
0: That's 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 very well said. And on that note, I would like to sort of uh, wrap this episode up. Thank you so much for uh, joining us, uh, Ms. Sonu Bhaseen. It was wonderful speaking with you.
1: Thank you, Divya. Pleasure. And uh, I do hope that your viewers and your listeners will uh, find my book interesting. And I love the feedback. And yes, if there is a woman industrialist in the past, please do let Divya know who will let me know.
0: Yes, for sure. We'll definitely keep an eye out for that. So listeners, that was Sonu Bhaseen speaking to us about her latest book, Entrepreneurs Who Built India. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. I'm Divya Shekhar. See you next time.